We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. So I'm not gonna lie, it was a bit of a a struggle to leave the the Airbnb this morning. And uh, not that I was in love with the place that much and that I don't like the walking, but it was just, it was nice having an indoor space and, and chilling for a little while. And uh, knowing that I'm gonna be back out here sleeping in minus 25 again tonight is just, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a struggle, but I'm glad to be out, glad to be back on the road again. You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 172, The Undefinable Spirit. Tony Holtkamp takes a walk on the wild side. Come on in, have a seat. Join the conversation. Hello, I'm glad you could join us for another episode of the Undefinable Spirit series, with today's guest being the 11th child of 12 siblings born to Dutch immigrants who in 1952 settled in Yorkton, Saskatchewan, the town that our guest today, Tony Holtkamp, was eventually born in 57 years ago. Tony joins us today from Brampton, Ontario, where he's currently visiting with one of his four remaining sisters and deciding to take a brief and unexpected break for a couple of weeks after completing about 1,400 kilometers of an approximately 8,000-kilometer trek from coast to coast, taking the first step of his journey exactly two months ago on January 3rd of this year from St. John's, Newfoundland, with the current goal of reaching Victoria, B.C. by the end of October or early November of this year. Tony left Yorkton at the age of 18 to pursue a career in photography, though it led to other adventures, including a cycle tour from Toronto to Mexico in 1986 at the age of 22. Following that experience, he joined the Canadian Army at 23, where he also trained and worked as a dental hygienist for three years, working in several different provinces. During that time, he also married and had two children, eventually settling in the small central Alberta town of Whitecourt, where he raised his son and daughter on his own. He's not a novice when it comes to long hikes, having, among other on-the-ground experiences, also completed two Camino walks, the first in 2011 while living in Victoria, B.C., and again in 2016, at which time he returned to live on his own and off the grid in a 120-square-foot home he built himself in the Shoe Swamp area of BC, a place he currently calls home. Hi, Tony. Welcome, Tony. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Well, talk about expecting the unexpected, even though the obstacles are pretty obvious this time of year. Briefly explain exactly what's transpired in the last week and when and where do you think you'll resume your walk to the West Coast? So what has transpired? Uh, well, I guess it was building throughout New Brunswick and a little bit of Nova Scotia's roller coaster weather and difficulties camping mostly, not the walking, but the camping. And uh, I had a series of buses that I had to take and jump forward. I took five days off in Fredericton in hopes that that was going to alleviate some of the winter storms, but it did not. And eventually what happened is I had to jump through Quebec and at that time decided that it would just be a better to take a break and visit Brenda here in Brampton for two or three weeks and let winter pass 
or the, the bulk of it. Mm-hmm. I intend to resume, I think, in Gatineau, where my nephew lives, but I've learned that a lot of things are fluid and they change and plants change pretty uh, quickly and easily along this trail. So the intention right now is to start in Gatineau and continue on west, but we shall see. Before Harry asks you a question, I meant to ask as well, how have the people who've been following you so far, how have they dealt with this uh, little obstacle that you've run into? You know, most people are very supportive. Well, I should say everyone that has commented or uh, sent me private messages has been very supportive. I honestly feel like I've failed a little bit and that I've let people down, but uh, no one has felt that way mm-hmm. so far everyone's sticking around. I haven't lost a a bunch of followers because of this. Uh So we shall see if they stay with me through the next two or three weeks. I think most people are very supportive. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they'll stick with you for sure. But Tony, can we roll the tape back a little bit first to the beginning of this whole thing? And can you talk a bit about how this idea of walking across Canada came to you and what made you decide to embark on this adventure? Well, for the longest time, I've uh, loved the long journeys. I like long walks. I love long cycling tours. Even when I go backpacking in the Rockies, which was a pretty common thing as my family was growing up, my own children and myself, we did a lot of uh, long trails in the Rockies. And I had contemplated doing coast-to-coast in Canada, either on a bicycle or walking for quite some time. I just enjoy the long distance. So I guess... The real spark came after my first Camino. I came back to Canada and uh, had thought I enjoyed that long walk so much that I was going to do something from my own home. And there is a trail system in British Columbia called the Kettle Valley Rail. Mm. Uh, I contemplated doing much of that. And then life got in the way and I didn't have the time or the finances for it way back when. I had uh, at the time taken a year sabbatical, so I had to get back to work and restock the bank account and get my life back on track. And I started thinking about it a little bit more seriously a few years after that. And then when COVID happened, it just seemed uh, serendipitous. The timing was right and uh, I could afford to do it. So mm-hmm. just everything fell into place, I guess now. Right. And was there any pressure at all from anywhere to kind of be Terry Fox part two sort of thing to work with a charity or anything like that? Or was it just more a personal quest that you wanted to uh, complete here? Yeah, for myself, it was just personal quest. I had no desire to do a fundraiser. And the idea or the question of it never came up until I was actually about to embark on it. Mm -hmm. And uh, a few uh, friends of family had asked if I was doing it for charity, and the odd stranger, as I was beginning to walk, would ask about that. But for the most part, I think people have understood that it's just a, a personal adventure, and uh, those who know me know that this is a common thing for me. <laughs> mm. Of course, there is an expense associated with this, which we won't get into at this point. However, probably the the most obvious thing, I think any listener that tunes into your videos on YouTube or your blog on your website. This would be an amazing trip for anyone of any age. The question in terms of the inherent limitations that you run into physically, were there any kind of special considerations in preparation for this trip that would test uh, what I would think even the strongest and healthiest of people? Um, I never trained. I didn't do anything out of the ordinary before beginning this. 
I've always been very fortunate. My body's uh, served me well. I don't have a lot of aches or pains, and I didn't go out of my way to do any extra training. I've always been a walker. I enjoy long walks. I would walk to and from work, and on weekends it wasn't unusual for me to go out either hiking or on a walk for 10 or 15K. So physically, I think I was well prepared for it. I mean, there's always a little bit of an adjustment in the beginning, carrying a heavier pack, and especially sleeping and camping outdoors is a change in the routine. But other than that, I've just been very fortunate, and I know that. I know a lot of people aren't in my position health-wise, but that just works out for me. (laughs) Yeah, and I think you mentioned to me that you're carrying about 25 kilograms of material with you at all times, which is the equivalent of about a seven- or eight-year-old child on your back. That's certainly not going to make it easier. And apart from the physical aspects, which you've just talked about yourself, not having pains and so on, were there other considerations in this trip? I mean, weather's obviously a factor. So if it wasn't your personal physical discomfort or aches and pains, were there other considerations that were really important before you began to walk from St. John's? Absolutely. Yeah, winter is probably my biggest concern. And I had history of camping in the wintertime, but it was usually for a weekend or three days. I've never done anything this long in the winter. And uh, I I knew that was going to be my biggest obstacle. And it has turned out to be the biggest challenge for me. I don't think I went into it naively, but I hadn't anticipated the extremes and the roller coaster kind of ride with the weather. So that was my biggest concern, and it has been my biggest downfall. Yeah. And in your younger life, Tony, you spent some time in the military. I'm just wondering if you took any of that experience, and was it applicable to some of the challenges on your trip so far? Um. Not really. I mean, I didn't do a lot of outdoor training. And when it comes to my army training, I don't think that was much of a preparation for what I'm doing now. I mean, I did do a little bit of outdoor exercises, but just with my profession in the army, we didn't do a lot of outdoor stuff. I think it was more the experiences that I've had, just my history with backpacking in the Rockies and my love of snowshoeing and being outdoors. When I first began backpacking the Rockies, it was all new to me, and I was naive and green, and I made a lot of mistakes, and over the years, I've learned a lot, and the cycle touring, those sorts of things, that has prepared me. I mean, over the years, I learned how to live simply and how to pack lightly and only carry what I needed, and I think those were probably the the culmination of all of those experiences brought me to where I am now. Right. And we've been focusing primarily on the physical aspects, which for anyone that understands Canada and Canadian weather, the obstacles are obvious, especially this time of year. But I wanted to talk a little bit more about what it takes internally, not just physically, which is the spiritual element. Now, you've walked two Camino trails before you attempted this journey across Canada on foot. Is there a spiritual dimension to uh, what has inspired you to do these kinds of extraordinary things? Yes, I suppose. I'm not a very spiritual person. I wouldn't say that I am. But when you're walking alone for that length of time, day after day, it's impossible not to be introspective, more than typically anyway. So from an internal mental health and spiritual, so to speak, perspective, yeah, I mean, it's undeniable that you can't go through those sorts of experiences and not be internalizing things and questioning things and just, 
I guess, becoming more in touch with who you are and the mm -hmm. big, bigger picture, the whole world. Mm -hmm. It seems to me the best part of any journey are the stories and the unexpected meetings with interesting people that you experience along the way. Could you maybe share a story or two from your journey so far in terms of the people you've met or the experiences you've had that people might enjoy hearing? Yeah, since it's been winter, I haven't had that many experiences with people. So if people who are listening have done a Camino before or they understand the ritual on the Camino. It's a very social kind of a thing. And I really love that part of the Camino. With this, because I'm walking alone and I'm camping alone and I'm more often than not on roadways, highways, I don't have as many experiences. But when I do, they hit home a lot more. They're more profound. Mm -hmm. um, for example, in Newfoundland, I had a fellow that uh, heard from a friend of mine back in Alberta that I was walking and he went out of his way to drive down the highway until he saw me pulled over, gave me a little cash and offered me a place to stay at his cabin that night um, at a time when I was beat down and it was cold and I had just finished walking through Terra Nova, which was three days of cold and no services. So circumstances like that are more than welcome and uh, life affirming, right? Yes, uh, yes. And then again, in Nova Scotia, I was walking down, as I do often on the left side of the highway, facing traffic, and a trucker pulled up on the opposite side of the road and I shouted out my name. And I thought, how bizarre that someone would know my name, especially just driving by. And it happened to be a friend of my sister's here had talked to his family. His brother was the one, and he was on the phone chatting <laughs> with his brother about me at the time. Um, he let me warm up in his truck. Yeah. He let me warm up in his truck and then drove me to the next little town, brought me to a restaurant that he had heard about that was a fantastic meal. And through that, he had contacted me a few times just asking where I was. He was keeping an eye on me as he was driving his truck route. And I met up with him again another time. And we just chatted. And it was nice making a, almost a little friendship with a complete stranger. Sure, and I suspect that this will happen more often as you continue to post information, as you continue to walk. Hopefully this podcast will get you a few more followers or listeners as well. So keeping in the same vein, though, what has been the most challenging aspect of this trip and the most rewarding? So hands down, the most challenging aspect has been the weather, the, the extremes in the weather, because I'm quite comfortable with cold. I grew up on the prairies and I spent the bulk of my adult life in Alberta, um, I'm comfortable walking and hiking in minus 25 or, you know, that's not as much of an issue, but it's the day-to-day -day camping, living in the outdoors, waking up in the morning, my boots are frozen, I'm not able to get them on, so I have to thaw them over the stove. Um, nobody thinks about it, but you got to get up and do number one and two in the snow <laughs> when it's minus 25 out, you know. And through the winter, the nights are long. It's a long, dark stretch, right? So in the beginning, I might have had my camp set up by three in the afternoon, and it's not light until 7.30 or 8 o'clock in the morning. So it's mm. a long stretch to be sitting at a tent. Yeah. And because it was cold, you're quite often in the sleeping bag that entire time. So mm. those have been the real challenges. Did you have reading materials? Sure. Did you read anything on the way? Or I do have ebooks on my phone, yeah. but quite often... Because I'm in a mummy sleeping bag, there's not enough room to read inside of the bag. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if I had my hands out of the sleeping bag, they would get cold too quickly. So uh -huh. I listen to a lot of podcasts, but uh, 
even that, I have to be cautious about how much battery life I have left. So that addresses the worst part or the most challenging part. What would you say has been the most rewarding part of your trip so far? Well, even if it's not the circumstances like I was mentioning before where I would um, have a half an hour or an overnight interaction with somebody else, even if it was just a quick question or a quick conversation at a Tim Hortons or in the bank foyer or just having little interactions with people and their curiosity and their well-wishing, that's all been wonderful. And I know as springtime arrives and summer is here, I'm going to have more of those interactions with people. That's probably what I'm looking forward to most. I mean, I love the, the walk and I love being outdoors, but meeting a variety of people and interacting with people, mm. is, uh, that's going to be wonderful. Yeah. So, Tony, in listening to you talking about this journey across Canada, you're very self-deprecating in a way. I mean, you're talking about it like it's just another thing, walking across thousands of kilometers of land through all these seasons. And to me, it's an extraordinary thing you're doing. Mm -hmm. So, first of all, I want to congratulate you on just the intention to do it. But secondly, I wanted to ask you, is there something that you carry with you as a kind of philosophy of life that allows you to keep the fires burning for this kind of thing and to keep going through thick and thin, taking rests, of course, but the whole idea of the journey? And is there something maybe from your childhood that your parents passed on to you or your siblings that kind of add up to a philosophy of life that you work with? Well, when it comes to journeys like this, adventurous kind of expeditions, I can't say any of it came from my family. My mother did enjoy being outdoors and long walks, but neither of my parents were real outdoor activity people. And I don't have any siblings that share that same kind of desire. And I don't see it as self-deprecating because I don't see myself as an athlete or any one extraordinary gifts or talent. I'm just a regular dude and I like walking. In all honesty, that's all it is. And people, I think, are overwhelmed by the distance, but... Really, it's uh, one step at a time. And if you think in terms of walking four or five kilometers an hour, and you do that for six or seven or eight hours a day, it's just a job of walking. So you break it down into the small increments. It's not that overwhelming. As far as the camping and living outdoors goes, I think you have to have a little bit of a love for that to begin with. And if you love camping and tent camping and being outdoors all day, not that much more of a stretch to include that in the journey itself. We're going to change the name of this podcast to Regular Dude Walking. <laughs> okay. Uh, it also sounds too, Tony, the way you talked about it just now, you could be like a Zen monk talking about <laughs> mindfulness, one foot in front of the other, and just doing what you're doing in the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I don't know if I'm a Zen monk, but <laughs> yeah, I like the philosophy of, of uh, simple living. And I mean, it's not a saunter that I'm doing, but I'm a big fan of Thoreau and he pontificates the, the saunter and the, the value in it. So, Of sauntering. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Like you said, there's a simplicity. You take what you need, you leave what you don't. Absolutely. Obviously, over the last couple of years, we've all been surrounded by this COVID situation. And you began this walk in the midst of a few things happening, COVID still not being over, the trucker situation in Ottawa and so on. Has COVID affected your trip in any way? It's just an inconvenience, really. How so? Well, I mean, when certain provinces, when I was walking through, they'd have restrictions in restaurant dining. 
So, you know, after walking for a couple of days, I just wanted to stop and sit down and charge my phone and have a coffee indoors at a Tim Hortons or, or wherever. And uh, there was a big stretch where there was no in-person dining. Right, um, right. So if I wanted a coffee at a Tim Hortons, I'd walk through the walk through uh, the drive through or a few restaurants would allow you to come inside and grab something. But then I'm sitting outside in the cold uh, to drink the coffee, which I did. But other than that, really, honestly, there hasn't been any other inconveniences. And it really hasn't affected the way that I've interacted with people. So I can't complain that terribly much. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Small small inconvenience. Yeah. Now, Tony, let's assume, for argument's sake, that there are other people who will be inspired by your trip and would want to do their own journey like that. Do you have any sort of tips for them for how to keep their morale up or keep the momentum going, that sort of thing? Any tips for people who are thinking about this kind of thing? Well, for starters, I think a number one tip would be if you're interested in doing this kind of a long-distance thing, start small. Get comfortable with backpacking for short trips, you know, a three-day weekend, or get comfortable with a couple of weeks before you consider this. Right. And I would say... Because I've had such a challenge with the winter, my advice would be to be sure you can handle something like that. And if not, maybe consider starting later in the year in March or April and maybe not completing it one calendar year. If someone has a faster pace than me, maybe they can still do that. Yeah. Be practical, in other words, too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh Absolutely. Now, you have touched on a few things as we're talking. I'm curious, given that you're walking consistently day in and day out and fairly long stretches. I know that you're trying to achieve somewhere between 25 and 30 kilometers a day, which is substantial for one day, let alone successive days. What goes through your mind or is there anything that has surprised you in terms of what you're processing mentally as you're doing all this walking alone for hours at a time? Nothing has surprised me. I can't say that it has surprised me. And again, this is just my character, my nature. Well, for starters, I live alone right now, Mm. uh, even before the journey here, the adventure. And I would spend days alone, not talking to anyone. So there's a lot of thought going on for me all the time. I'm quite an introspective kind of a person. So I don't think that that has changed a whole lot. I may be focusing a little bit more on my personal growth as I'm walking along here and what I hope to achieve out of it from an emotional standpoint. And I am intending to write a small book when I'm done. So a lot of the thought process is how um, I'm going to take my experiences and turn them into something interesting. Yeah, and you're recording your thoughts on your way too, aren't you? You're doing a regular vlog sort of thing? Yes, I keep a paper journal. I write in a journal daily and I upload that to a blog online. And I've been recording some video for YouTube and that's mostly it's just kind of updates as I'm walking along and a little bit of, of the scenery. I'm also recording a little bit of uh, voice. And most of that I'm doing just as a reminder to myself, because if I don't stop and write down a note, I don't keep a notebook with me, then a lot of the thought that I have throughout the day is forgotten by the day. Maybe we generally do this with every interview at the end, and we're reaching that point anyway. This would be the perfect time to give out information to people who are listening with regards to your YouTube channel, your website, and where they can find you and what you're updating and so on. Okay, so I have been writing in my journal daily as I've been walking. Now that I've taken a little break, I'm not as consistent. 
that can be found at my website, and that is just TonyHoldcamp.com. So T-O-N-Y-H-O-L-T-K-A-M-P.com. And from there, I do have links to my YouTube channel and my Instagram. And then on my Instagram, while I was walking, I was posting most days, sometimes more than once a day. And uh, usually it was just scenery as I was walking along, that sort of thing. And when it comes to the YouTube channel, I was updating every weekend, just a weekly kind of a chronicle of where I've been and what I've been up to. And mostly I'm complaining about the weather, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) But I've thrown in a couple of other videos, like the gear that I carry, that sort of thing. Yeah, we're hoping to kind of uh, periodically touch base with you as you resume your journey here on the podcast Mm -hmm. and see how you're doing. But I have one last question before we let you go, Tony. You have children. Did you have any pushback from family members saying, what the heck are you doing? Are you insane Mm -hmm. walking across country, the whole country? What is going on with you? And if you did have any of that, what would you say to those people? So definitely not for my children. My children know me well enough and they're supportive. They know I've done things like this before. And I think they realize that it was a bigger undertaking than anything I've done before. But um, they trust me and they know me well enough. This wasn't a surprise. Family members, my siblings, most are very supportive. A couple, I wouldn't say that they weren't supportive. They were a little more skeptical, but they, again, know me well enough that I don't think that they were that surprised. And I have friends, uh, a lot of close friends that uh, were a little bit surprised by it, but again, knew me. I think that people who are a little bit uncomfortable with camping and long-distance travel can't wrap their head around such a trip, and they worry more. So I didn't get so much pushback as I did a little bit of worry, and those people, I just touch base with them a little bit more often, either through a text message or a phone call, and even just seeing my videos that I'm alive every week, that's And listen, I know you've been kind of uh, downplaying this entire thing. I mean, listening to you, you're quite modest, matter of fact, about this whole thing. I know that there are people out there going, my God, I would never even begin to entertain the idea of walking across Canada in the best of weather, let alone the conditions in which you're in. And I know that you're also modest from the point of view that this is something you've opted to do on your own. However, there is a cost associated with everything that you're doing. And although you're kind of financing yourself, I'd like to say to people listening, perhaps you'd like to donate some support to Tony as he treks across the country. And again, because of the way you are, I will not say how much this is costing you, but it is in the thousands of dollars by the time you finish, just the basic things that you're expensing as you're crossing. So on that note, Tony, I just wish you all the best. I look forward to when you begin again, when you go back to Quebec and continue your walk. We'll certainly follow you. And as Harry mentioned, we will also periodically, as we do our podcast, we'll put in a word or two and tell people where you are and and what you're doing and how things are going. Yeah, I'd like to echo that, Tony, and say thank you for doing what you're doing. God knows in these times we need to be inspired Mm -hmm. by this kind of thing, and it is an inspiring thing what you're doing. So as much as you downplay it, I'd like to say thank you for being an inspiration. Well, thanks for having me, and thanks for your support. And I look forward to touching base with you guys on a regular basis as I'm going across and keeping everybody informed and having these interesting conversations. Awesome. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Tony. Okay, bye. Bye.
So Harry, when are you going to begin your walk? I understand you might be starting out in BC and going I, to... I can't uh, even walk across my room without going, ouch, ooh, ow. <laughs> so you're so, canceling that whole idea of BC to Newfoundland. And, yeah, yeah okay. I, was, I was going to maybe walk backwards across the city of Toronto, but I kept tripping, so... All right, Harry, <laughs> on that note... Ciao, Peter. Ciao, Harry. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you for your donation to The Sill Podcast.